Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe that doesn't do much for you, but that does a whole lot for me and that stirs my heart. I want to read verse 8 again. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I just want to use the phrase there that is in this particular verse, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners. Amen. There's quite a lot there in those verses of Scripture to unpack, but I feel something very heavy on my heart here this morning. And let's lift up our hands and our voices to the Lord again, and let's pray for His mighty anointing. We certainly need His touch. Jesus, we're asking You, dear God, to move and to work in this place. Visit us in this house. God, I pray, Lord, your presence, your power, your glory to show up in this room today. And we thank you, God, for all that you have done and every blessing that you have bestowed upon us as your people. We're undeserving. We know that. But, God, we are thankful and we're appreciative to you. We give you the praise. Let's give him praise right now. Come on, let's really lift up the name of Jesus. Really glorify the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. All across this building. God has been good to you. You ought to lift up your voice and tell him about it right now. If you've been blessed, somebody ought to lift up their voice and give praise to him right now for those blessings. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. While we were yet sinners. At the risk of uh, sounding trite here this morning, I, I just want to say that these verses have really been working on me for the last few days because, in my opinion, they encapsulate what is to me one of the greatest mysteries about God. To think that the God of this universe, the God that speaks galaxies into existence, 
the Hubble telescope has discovered over 3,000, or right at 3,000 galaxies of which we live in one. This God that speaks and light appears, speaks and divides land from the sea, speaks and trees sprout up out of the ground, along with plants and grass, that simply by his spoken word, fish begin to swim in the sea, the lakes and the rivers, and animals begin to walk across the land. This God that shaped man after his own image, and the Bible said he breathed his own breath into him, and he became a living soul. This God that angels constantly, 24-7, smother with praise, that same God is completely consumed with you. That is completely, if I could use this strong of word, I know sometimes when we think of this word, we think of it as in a negative sense, but this God is completely obsessed with you and I. So unbelievably obsessed with souls that he is willing to go to drastic measures. He's willing to go to extremes to save those souls. Uh, to him, there's nobody that is expendable. To him, there's no one that is just worthy of being cast out. There's no one that he just dusts off. There's no one that he doesn't care for. I don't know what that does for you, but that is really overwhelming to me. And I love that verse that is quoted so often, especially in the denominal world, and so sometimes we apostolics, we shy away from it, but it's still in the Bible. And it's still important. And I don't know that everybody really grasps just how important this verse is or, or do we realize the gravity of this particular verse. But John 3.16 says, And God so loved the world. It didn't just say that He loved. It said that He so loved. And then it begins to describe what he was willing to do for this world, to express his love for this world. He so loved the world that he did what he did for you and I. He so loved the world that he robed himself in humanity and he came through the back door of his own creation. Oh, he could have came in regal robes. He could have came with a scepter in his right hand. He could have came with a king's crown upon his head. He could have come and sat upon a throne and ruled and reigned from that throne. But he came in the form of a servant, the Bible says, robed in flesh, and he lived a humble life, and he grappled with the challenges of a common man. And he was willing during his time here to be misunderstood. Willing to suffer rejection on a level that very few of us could even relate to. 
He was willing to endure the shame and the despising of people. Then, as if that was not enough, he ultimately went to Calvary and he suffered an unimaginable period of time in pain, an unimaginable death that hardly anybody in our modern society could even relate to. We try to make uh, even executions that are carried out in this world. There's a lot of debate as to making them, if you can make death humane, to make it as humane as possible. But that was not the thought in those times. They wanted to make it agonizing. They wanted to make it as painful as possible. They wanted to make a person suffer as long and to drag it out as long as they possibly could before they drew their last breath. And that's what death on a cross was all about. And they stripped him before his own creation and they crucified him. And he died there for you and I and for all of humanity. Not only for those that would come after that period of time, but we know that the blood of Jesus looks back all the way to creation. And the blood that was shed at Calvary, what the blood of bulls and goats could not cleanse, but only covered and rolled ahead, Calvary was able to take care of and settle the sin question once and for all. And if you're here today and you're thankful for Calvary, if you're thankful for the blood of Jesus, if you're thankful for the opportunity that's been afforded to you, you ought to lift up your hands and one more time give thanks and give praise unto God for what He did for us at Calvary. And I think the most notable thing which comes out of this text is this was not just for those who would receive Him. The Bible said scarcely would a man die for someone that is righteous, someone that is deserving. Would they put their life in harm's way for someone that was deserving of their life being spared? But for someone that is a sinner, for someone that is not a good person, for someone that there's no attachment because of anything that they have done for you or anything that they will do for you, that's a whole other thing altogether. But the Lord didn't just die for those that would receive Him. He didn't just endure the agony of the cross for those that would give their life to Him. He did not endure the pain of Calvary just for those that would love Him and those that were good people or just die for the good ones. But God so loved the world that He gave all for those that would never live for Him, that would never serve Him, that would never lift their hands and worship Him, never come to an altar and bend the knee and dedicate their life to Him, never one day serve Him. In other words, they would never reciprocate. But His love, 
He so loved the world that he said, I'm willing to go to that cross. I'm willing to endure that pain. I'm willing to go through all of that. Even though it may never be reciprocated, they'll still have an opportunity. They'll still have a chance. They'll still have, amen, an open path for salvation. There'll be no obstructions. It's on them. They may never reciprocate. They may never worship. They may never give their life to me. But that does not take away the fact that I love them. Is anybody familiar with the term groupie? Okay. Let me explain it to you. Well, it's, it's someone that just has it in their minds that, that if they could just meet a certain famous person, a celebrity, if they could just, you know, get their attention some way and let them know how much they care for them, then there would be one less unhappy, unfulfilled young lady or young man in some cases. A lot of times it's a young lady that has her eyes on a certain celebrity, a certain person. There would be one less unhappy, unloved person in the world if they could just get the attention of of that particular person you know I remember when I was growing up my cousin she is uh, one year older than me she was not raised apostolic but a lot of times I would go over to her house and I would see of course my parents would never have allowed anything like this not that I was interested in any of this but I mean, there was posters, life-size posters of certain celebrities, I suppose. And I'd say, who is this? And uh, she'd tell me, and I'd say, do you like them? She said, no, I don't like them. I love them. And I mean, it was just like a, I don't know, an infatuation, an obsession and I guess that's just a stage that some go through at that age, particularly those that are into all of that. But I mean just a, what we would call a groupie. I mean, they, they are by definition somebody that does not realize that that person doesn't even know that they exist. That person, no matter how much they like them, no matter how much they love them, they say, no matter how much feelings they have for them, that person is never going to reciprocate. That person is never going to give back. No matter how much that they give and all the paraphernalia that they buy, the tickets that they purchase, or whatever it is, no matter how faithfully they follow them, that person is never going to ever be able to reciprocate. That's what they call a groupie. And you sometimes just want to set them down and say, hey, look, hey, hey, reality check here. They don't know you. They don't know that you're in the world. 
they're not nearly as impressed with you as you are with them. And as much as you give to them, they're never going to give anything back to you. This is a one-way street. Maybe you've known people through the years that have fallen so hard for someone that they didn't realize how ridiculous it made them look. Now, I know some of you are going to have to go way back here to get a hold of this, but I think you can relate. I remember when I was a young person, there was, and, and I'm not going to use their names because I'm going to protect the innocent this morning, but we'll say his name was Kevin and her name was Kim. That was not their names, but I don't want to use their names. And Kevin, when he first laid eyes on Kim, he was a good friend of mine. And when he first laid eyes on Kim, I mean it was love at first sight, or at least that's what he thought it was. And I mean he set her in his sight, and it was like there was not another young lady in the entire world. Has anybody ever known anybody like that? Thank you, two or three. <laughs> and I mean, he was just, he was just uh, obsessed. And it wasn't like he was a slouch. This guy was a nice-looking young man. Not that I know what a nice-looking young man looks like. But from what I hear, he was a nice-looking young man. And... He, he had it together. I mean, he had a great job that he had worked from the time he got out of high school and worked his way up in the company until he was like the vice president, I think, of the company. And uh, he had a nice home, which at that time in his life, he was ahead of the pack. He had uh, nice clothing, fashionable clothing that he wore. He kept himself up nice. He was fit. And for me, the, the best asset that he had was that he had a 928 Porsche that he let me ride on or ride with him in on occasion. And I thought, man, if she can't be impressed with this, there's nothing's going to get her, Kevin. If this doesn't do it, man, I don't know. You don't have a chance. But you know what? The 928 didn't impress the stylish clothes did not impress. The fact that he owned, he was a homeowner, did not impress. The fact that he made a good living, had a secure job, that did not impress. Ironically, she fell for a young man that also knew that truthfully, the best description for him was is that and I hate to say this, and I hope nobody watching figures this one out, but he was a loser. And he proved it later on, that he was in fact a loser. He didn't have a job. If, uh, I think it was one of those deals where, you know, he worked a little while here, a few weeks here and a few weeks over there. He didn't have a home. And he was not nearly as personable 
And he didn't act like he cared nearly as much for her. But Kevin, he never, I mean, he didn't take any hints, man. You know, he would purchase roses. He'd take her to the fine, when she would consent to go, he took her to the finest restaurants. He did everything, I mean, everything that you could pull out of the hat to try to grab this girl's attention. He did it. But absolutely to no avail. And finally, we got together and said, you know, something has to be done. Kevin's better than this. I mean, he's losing what little dignity he has left is going down the tubes by the day. Somebody's going to have to intervene. Somebody, in fact, is going to have to set him down and explain to him, Kevin, I know that you love Kim. Kevin, I know how much you say you care for her. But man, this is never going to work out. Kevin, she's never going to reciprocate. She's never going to give love back the way that you give love to her. Kevin, I don't want to see you get hurt anymore. You know, as crazy as it may sound, and please, please don't get offended by this metaphor, but as crazy as it may sound as a pastor, I've found myself in similar situations. God lavishes his love upon people. God extends his mercy not once, not twice, but over and over and over and over and over. And just when you think there's no more mercy to give, he gives more mercy. When you think there's no more grace to offer, he gives more. When you think he couldn't love them possibly because they've rejected him so much, he continues to reach for them. And people turn to him when they're in trouble. They turn to him when they've got problems. But then they turn away from him when things are going good and when they're prospering. And it seems that I have a sudden urge to say, God, when I'm in prayer, I, I want to say, God, can I just break the news to you? They're never going to reciprocate. They're never going to give love back to you that you give to them. They're never going to really be faithful. It doesn't seem. It doesn't appear that they appreciate your love. It doesn't appear that they appreciate the mercy that you give. It doesn't appear that they care for you in the same way that you care for them. But can I tell you that it's still to no avail. God keeps loving. And God keeps reaching. And God keeps extending mercy and God keeps dealing and offering opportunities. You and I think it's irrational. You and I think it's illogical. You and I say, man, it just seems like God doesn't get it. That, that he's not, he, he's never going to turn away. He's never going to give up. He's never going to quit. He's never going to stop. He's never going to quit reaching for them. That's the crazy thing is, is that he so loves the world that he never quits. 
750 years before Jesus came to this world. God's extraordinary, illogical, irrational love is put on full display through a prophet by the name of Hosea. Now, Hosea lived in the northern territory of Israel, and he was just after the prophet Amos. And you understand, you probably, as Bible readers, know that prophets in that day and time, hey, I know this is different this morning, but this is what I feel on my heart. Prophets in that day and hour, they, they, they did not only deliver a message from God, but they lived the message that God gave them. In other words, they had to experience it. And it still happens in preachers' lives today many times, but especially in Old Testament times, we, we know of prophets like Jeremiah when God wanted him to speak a message about his people being clay in a potter's hand and how that a vessel was marred and the most rational thing to do is to throw it out, but the potter begins to make it again. When he wanted him to, to deliver that message to the people, he sent him down to the potter's house. He wanted him to feel and experience. He wanted him to have him... Uh, he wanted him to have all of the, the, the same emotions that he would have towards these people. He wanted him to feel as best he could and be able to relate as best he could with these people and with God and, and, and experience these things. He did it with Isaiah. He did it with others. With Hosea, I dare say that he had the most difficult assignment of any that you read about in the entire Old Testament. Listen to what God asked him to do. He said, Hosea, you've dedicated your life to God. You've kept yourself pure. You've kept yourself righteous. You've lived a holy life. You've qualified yourself to be a prophet. You've went through all of the stages of development. Now I want to give you your first assignment. You that has not experienced the world at all, you that have kept yourself from all of these things, I know it's going to be a little bit difficult for you, but I'd like for you to go down to the red light district, and I want you to marry a harlot. Maybe Hosea said, come again. You mean I've dedicated my life. You mean I've, 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 I've done all of this preparation and I've kept myself from all those kinds of things. I don't even know anything about that world, God. I don't even know what it is to relate to that world. I, I, I don't know anything about that depths of sin. Theologians say outside of Jesus' ministry and Calvary, this is the most perfect depiction of God's love for humanity. This story right here. And I'd have to say that this is a pretty accurate, pretty accurate picture of it. And so he, 
he goes down to the area of town that maybe he had never, maybe he had never even went to ever in his life. And God told him specifically who it was, a, a young lady by the name of Gomer. Kind of a rough name, isn't it? Not a very attractive name, at least if you don't know the meaning of it. You go down and marry this specific girl. And so he does. And he shows her unreserved love. He shows her love, the love of God. He loves her unconditionally. And everything's good for a while. In fact, the Lord blesses them with children. They have a boy that is born. And then a little girl is born. And then after that, another boy is born. And things are rocking along fine. And everything seems to be good. And God is blessing and prospering them. And it all seems like a happily ever after story. When one morning, Hosea wakes up and he senses the absence. And he reaches over. Maybe his eyes are still closed. And he reaches over to feel for where Gomer is supposed to be asleep. She's not there. He's shocked. And he jumps up out of the bed. He thinks, well, maybe she's in the children's room. And runs into the children's room. And no, they're not. she's not there either. Goes into the kitchen. She's not there. He searches throughout the rest of the house. She's not there. Gomer has left and went back to her old lifestyle. And you can only imagine the feeling now a single parent raising these three children. A man that is a man of God. A man that is known for his powerful ministry and preaching. A man that is recognized as God's voice in the area. A man that is anointed. Suddenly life has hit him like a freight train. And he's reeling from it. And he is experiencing the feelings of rejection. Again, this is a picture of... Of how God feels. Because you know and realize that in this story. That is, that is what is represented here. Hosea is a picture of God. And Gomer is a picture of a backslidden people. And God feels the hurt. And the rejection of Israel. Who has walked away from him. Walked away from him from meager things. Walked away from him to experience nothing on the level of his love and his commitment to them. But only to be used and only to be taken advantage of. And Hosea is dealing with all of those emotions and all of those things. And I don't know how much time elapsed. But the story is not over there because in chapter 3 of Hosea, the Bible says that the Lord asked him, he said, you know, I know I've asked you to do some hard things along the way, but i got one more thing I want you to do. 
He said, I want you to go and look for her. And I want you to take her back. You know, if going in the first place was a struggle, if going down to the red light district in that side of town and finding a wife that he could not relate to as far as the world was concerned at all at that point, going down and marrying and joining himself to her was was a struggle. Can you imagine what kind of things this man as a human had to overcome when God said, I want you to go search for, you're going to have to search for because she's not looking for you. You're going to have to find her. And I want you to take her back. And so he goes down. You can't go down there in the middle of the day because it wouldn't do you no good because nobody's out during the middle of the day. So you got to go when, when all of those things are taking place. And so he goes one evening and he begins to walk the streets. Can you imagine this? Arguably one of the most famous people in that area of Israel. The man of God, the man that everybody knew was the prophet. He's down there walking the streets where prostitutes walk. Can you imagine the whispering campaign that was going on? Is that, is, that, is that who I think it is? What's he doing there? And he begins to ask people, have, have you seen Gomer lately? You know, I, I think I did a few days ago, and she was over a couple of streets. Can you imagine how humbling it must have been to go up and ask you, have you seen my wife that, that left me for this? Finally, somebody tells him where she might be. And he walks into what is the best description that we can find for this is a, an arena like an auction. And these human slaves are standing and it's even, that's, that's horrible. But these were not slaves just for the menial work of household. They were not household slaves, in other words. That would be terrible enough. But these were slaves for immoral use, to put it mildly. This... These people were trafficking in things. You know, all of this didn't just start happening in the day you and I live in. I know there's been a lot of attention given to it lately, and I'm thankful that somebody's finally waking up to those things. But can I tell you that this kind of thing has been going on for a long time because I read about it in the book of Hosea. And maybe Hosea at first says, Hey, that's my wife. I'm going to take her home with me. And the man standing beside her said, I don't care who you think she is or who you say she is. Right now, she's my property. And if you're going to take her, you're going to have to bid on her just like everybody else and win the bid. That's the only way 
She's going to have to be purchased. The only way that she will be yours. Again, a perfect depiction of God's love for a world. Can I tell you that you're not your own, but you've been bought with a price? That the Lord was willing to give the ultimate for you and I. He wasn't just the lowest bidder. Amen. But he was, he was willing to give it all. Amen. Nobody could even match what he was willing to do. It's incomparable. His love to you and I. And that he showed it in that he died on the cross and shed his own blood to purchase your salvation. I don't know if there was bids against. I don't know. I don't know if anybody. I don't know if anybody tried to compete. But the Bible does tell us that 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley is what it took to purchase Gomer. Silver, you know, is typical of redemption. Barley is typical of humanity. The number 15 is significant also in that it is the number of rest or restoration. And also, we know that when Hezekiah was praying that the Lord added 15 years to his life. In other words, extended things and gave him Mercy, as it were. And then five, of course, is the number of grace. So the gospel is all in this story. It's all here. But the most significant thing to you you and me is Hosea's name means salvation. And Gomer's name means complete. Now we know that Gomer was not complete until Hosea came into her life. And it doesn't matter how many substitutes. It doesn't matter how far in the world people go. It doesn't matter how much they give themselves to it. Trying to find love and completion. They'll never find it out there. But it's only when they allow Hosea or allow the Lord into their life will they ever experience what it is to fully be complete and satisfied and to feel the hope that they've been looking for and to feel the true joy that they've been looking for and to feel that that, that every area of their life that they have need in has been satisfied. That can only be achieved through accepting the Lord into your life by repenting of your sins, being baptized in His name and filled with His spirit. Amen. Would you stand with me right now and lift up your hands to the Lord. Because the Bible said in Colossians 2 and 9 that we are complete in Him. In Him. Not in the things of the world. Not in sin. Not in those things that are out there. But in Him complete in him all of this is being played out in front of a nation Israel who had distorted love 
They were experiencing great prosperity during this time. There's so many parallels with what we're living through right now in our world. They had three primary positions on love. First of all, they believed that love could be purchased. That if I've got money, I can have happiness. I can have joy. You and I know that that's all temporal. Second position was is that they believed that love is simply the pursuit of self-gratification. That if I can get all the feelings and if I can get all that is out there, then I can, I can be happy and I can find love through self-gratification. You don't find love through satisfying self. You find love through giving self away at an altar and repenting and giving yourself to God. That's where you find real, true love. And then third, they believe that love could be found in things, objects, inanimate objects. If I've got materialism, if I have a nice car, if I have a nice home, if I have nice things, if I have all the toys and all the gadgets and all the these things will bring happiness and love to my life. You and I know that it isn't so. But we're complete in him. And to think that the God of all glory that while we were yet sinners while you were out there, while you were, it seems like a million miles away from God, when your thoughts were not even upon God, when your attention and your focus was on things, was on personal satisfaction, was on the next thrill, The next thing that you could purchase to try to find what you were looking for. God was entirely focused on you. God so loved. So loved. I don't know. If that doesn't move you, I don't know what it's going to take to move you. If that doesn't touch your heart, I don't know what could possibly touch your heart. If that doesn't bring a sense of being overwhelmed, knowing and understanding that God loved me that much, I don't know what it's going to take. But I wonder if there might be somebody in this house this morning, in a world where so many are not going to reciprocate, In a world where so many are going to reject and turn their back on Him. In a world where so many are never going to really give back even a portion of the love that has been given to them from God. I wonder if there's anybody that say, God, there's no way that I can express to you or give back to you all that you've given to me are all that you mean to me. But this morning I want to do my part and do my best to reciprocate.
and show you that I really do appreciate what you did for me on the cross. I want to show you here this morning that I am thankful, that I am appreciative, and that I am grateful, Lord Jesus. I wonder right now if you would step out where you are and say, God, I didn't deserve it, but I'm so thankful. I am so thankful for what you did for me at Calvary. Hallelujah. God, I'm not worthy, but I am here to praise you this morning. Your blood is able to cleanse. Your blood is able to wash. Your blood is able to make whole. Your blood is able to restore completely. While I was yet a sinner, while I was yet out there in the world, while I was still giving my life to the things of this world, you loved me enough. You cared for me enough. Oh, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, come on. Let's give our... Let's give our worship to Him right now. Let's give praise to Him right now. Let's give thanks to Him. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yes.